Hi, everybody. We are on season six of the Practical Protection podcast, and this is our first episode after the lovely summer of 2022. I have with me uh, Roy McLaughlin's back, and we also have Tom Bagley with us today. Hi, guys. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Very well. Excited to be on this brilliant podcast. Thank you. That's brilliant to hear. Hi, Catherine. How are we doing? We're, we're very, very good. How are you doing, Roy? Very good, thank you. And uh, yeah, I feel very privileged to be speaking to uh, the uh, the legend that is Mr. Bagry. Yeah, I'm going to call him Mr. B. That's going to be it, Mr. B. Uh, so <laughs> today we are going to be talking about uh, kind of the journey that's, um, that's been happening, you know, especially this journey that Tom's seen over the last 20 years in terms of com- campaigning for better consumer outcomes, and especially what's happening right now to grow the protection market. So this is the Practical Protection Podcast. So, Tom, I know that you are doing things across the industry and a key area that you've been working on, there's there's been a debate for quite a while. I know there's been quite a lot of discussions about things like advice versus non-advice, the need for greater transparency and for insurers to analyse really the brokers that they're working with to make sure that we're getting better consumer outcomes. So what's been what's been going on? Well, Catherine, you have to go back to the early noughties uh, when I realised that the the style of business that I pioneered, really, there were others, but I think uh, Life Search is, is the longest standing, uh, and that is providing protection advice over the phone, which you could call tele-advice or tele-sales, if you like. Um, uh, having started that uh, market, as it were, or that sector uh, in 1999, uh, by 2003 and four, I was aware that there was lots going on in the sector with, with other players uh, that, frankly, was substandard uh, and that uh, consumers were not getting great service through the phone. Uh, in those 20 years, LifeSearch has been on its own journey to improve what it does uh, and make sure that its advice standards are equal to those of face-to-face advisors. Uh, as well as being, in theory, more convenient for the customer, obviously. Uh, and in fact, nowadays, I would suspect almost all protection advice is given over the phone rather than face-to-face, just in the way customers now work post-pandemic. So this telesales sector uh, is has become huge, uh, and that's great. I'm really proud of my part in all of that. But from the early noughties, I started to ask insurers to make sure that it was done properly. And they have been assuring me that they do do that ever since. Um, that morphed into a clear categorization, perhaps after RDR, I think, um, that piece of regulation back in 2012, was it, into me effectively raging against non-advice uh, and non-advisors uh, and uh, their uh, practices um, versus advice. But more recently, uh, it's become clear to me that that is not the fundamental issue. It's not about what um, sellers class themselves as. It's fundamentally about what happens to the customer. So is what's happening to the customer what they expect uh, or isn't it? Uh, And if it is what they expect and it's good for them uh, and they understand it, well, then that's brilliant. It doesn't matter how they get to buy their protection as long as they're getting the right protection for them uh, in, in a way that they understand, uh, in the way that is, is uh, fair to them. So essentially, in, in well, recent months, uh, recent years, I've, I've moved the arguments on 
to simply focus on what happens to the customer. Uh, and I think it's important to understand that uh, the argument is now focused on that. And the fundamental reason for it needing to be focused on that is that if we treat customers well, if they have good outcomes, if they don't end up cancelling their policies early on because they realize they've made a mistake, if they're happy with what they've got, then our market can grow. And I think our market has been pretty much stagnant for a very long time. And I think the cause of that, the real underlying cause of that, is that a great many customers who come to our market don't have a good time, don't get the right kind of service for them, end up cancelling the policies they bought or being told by others to cancel the policies they bought and then doing that. And I think that whole front-end failure to maintain really good quality behaviours in distribution, in advice, in non-advice, in whatever, but in distribution, is the fundamental reason why our market is not growing. And I'm trying to convince insurers to not go for market share, but go for a bigger, bigger market, because I think it's easily available. Tom, when you talk about the stagnancy of the market, would you also concur that part of it is that we don't talk to consumers holistically about what we do anyway? Yes, yes. The, the, the challenge for a, uh, a kind of communications exercise is one I understand very well. You, Roy, will be one of few who remember my efforts back in the late uh, noughties, uh, 2009 to 2011, to, to create an industry campaign for educating consumers and, and engaging them, I called it, or we called it. Uh, and that came very near to success, but was uh, scrapped because we couldn't work out how to share the funding of the four or five million pounds we needed a year between all the insurers. I think that was a huge opportunity missed. Uh, and it, it was missed because the, the largest insurers quite simply did not want to give oxygen to smaller insurers uh, and thought they could do it on their own. 13 years later, we know they can't because our market isn't much bigger now than it was then. And But the underlying problem with an education campaign, an engagement campaign, is in the nature of our business. Because an insurer who spends a lot of money marketing finds the results of that marketing come through a very diverse set of distributors, disparate set of distributors, some of whom don't want to deal with that insurer. So effectively, the effect of their advertising is dissipated and the money is therefore largely wasted. Now, the solution to that was to build tied agencies uh, and, and that fell down and then to build direct to consumer websites. And that works, but doesn't convert at a, at a, at a great rate. So in other words, someone spending money on advertising can't monetize it. It just doesn't pay. So, and they've all tried um, over the years to, 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 to do that brand advertising. Uh, and beyond that, I remember the Great Aviva campaign, Louise Collie um, sort of sponsored, but that ran for weeks, no more than that, and then dis disappeared. I think because the inquiries didn't flow in, <laughs> it didn't, didn't really happen for them. Uh, and, and so you, it's all very well to say we should be telling our story to the consumer, but we've not found a way of doing it yet. And I think the underlying problem with that is the structure of our market. And that's a given. You're not going to change that. So it would be great if there were retailers, distributors, who had the wealth to engage in uh, really proper consumer engagement campaigns. At the moment, all you see is lead generation advertising. Uh, from distributors, whether it's on daytime TV or, or obviously online. Um, and that's better than nothing. 
Um, and uh, the uh, I'm not really sure how we get beyond that. Is, is the other problem potentially that we talk about protection advice and, and investment advice and pensions advice, but obviously to most consumers, they just see us as financial advisors per se. Is there therefore a problem that as an industry, and I'm talking about as an industry and as a whole, we're not portraying how important protection is alongside one's pension, one's mortgage, one's investments, you know, everything else financial that the consumer is seeing? Oh, yes. I mean, that, that, that's ab- absolutely true. Um, there are two aspects to that, actually. One, the, the consumer really has no means of understanding the difference between advice and guidance or non-advice or sales, really. Uh, It's all the same to them. It's someone who's pretty credible down the end of the phone or face-to-face, in fact, just telling them stuff uh, and asking them to make a decision based on the facts presented. So that's a a, a deep underlying flaw in the way regulation has sought to address what happens to consumers. The FCA made clear in their consumer duty paper uh, that, that they don't want to address that. That's not what they're about this time. Uh, and I think that is a, a huge error on their part. But beyond that, uh, the, the, the wealth, you know, I, I was a, a, a financial advisor and then a wealth manager and then a, a, a financial planner, the kind of evolution, if you like, uh, of, of that market. Uh, focusing on ever more wealthy customers because that's what the regulator essentially drove us all to do, you too. Uh, and yeah, the protection side of it is, is the least interesting. It's the least sexy. It's also one that causes the most problems because particularly if you've got wealthy clients, they're generally in middle age uh, and they're people you really want to manage their pensions for, but do you want to get them through underwriting? And if you don't do it every day, if it's something that your, your team just does once a week or whatever, Oh, how do you choose the right insurer? Your professional knowledge isn't up to scratch. And for the sake of uh, giving the customer a piece of advice he doesn't really want, getting him to buy a policy that he sort of only, yeah, he's buying because you told him to, um, you end up risking your whole relationship when the insurer somehow, you know, doesn't underwrite it properly or they get rejected or, or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's a very different discipline. Uh, which is really part of why LifeSwitch was set up in the first place, to say this is a specialist market. You need to do it as a special, standalone specialism. Uh, and we continually market our services out to wealth managers uh, as being the place to send their people. And some, Sanderson House and Paradigm Norton, two of the very best, they send us their customers. Um, but generally speaking, wealth managers don't like talking about what we do. It's, it's okay. I can understand why. Um, and uh, it's up to us, the protection market, to get out amongst them and say, come on, here's an easy route to transact. Pass us your customers. We can be trusted. Um, because I don't think they're ever, I don't think a pension advisor is ever going to get to talk about protection seriously. That is just any more than a chartered accountant does. So you've, you've, you've referenced the FCA consumer duty. It's obviously coming in next year. Do you see that potentially, therefore, as an opportunity to go out again to our wealth advisor, mortgage advisor, cousins, and just re-talk about this subject. And obviously, um, in particular, um, and Catherine will be uh, astounded, it's taken me 10 minutes to mention the word signposting. Uh, but uh, is, is, is this a, a, a great uh, opportunity to, to revisit this in the context of consumer duty in particular? I hope so, Roy. But I've watched principles-based regulation since it first was thought of, but I can't think who that was. I'm trying to remember which FCA boss it was, or actually FSA boss it was. Was um, it Hector, Hector's house? Hector Sands could have been, could have been. Uh, any number of them have passed my door, uh, passed by, really. I've, I've met most of them. Um, and 
yeah, they are civil servants passing through, doing what they think is right. The trouble is that they've they've utterly been unable to uh, what's the word? Do the hard yards of regulation. The bit of regulation that really matters is enforcement. But enforcement is police work. You need big teams. You need dogged efforts. You've got to take people through courts. Their defense lawyers are very good. It's hard to enforce rules. Uh, ask the police, for goodness sake. Lots of stuff they don't even enforce. You know, burglary and stuff isn't even investigated anymore in many parts of the country. So this is tough stuff to do. And so the regulator effectively has stepped back largely from doing the enforcement uh, and under-resourced their enforcement teams. And therefore, treating uh, sorry, principles-based regulation, treating customers fairly was one of the early, early versions, uh, just simply doesn't change that much. It does have a marginal effect, generally on the bigger businesses, on the bigger uh, businesses that have brand and reputation to consider, uh, but on the, on the fringes of the market and in protection, we've got a very big and, uh, what's the word, uh, loose fringe um, of small businesses that come into protection and go out of protection. And, and, and that is there in a way it really isn't quite so much in the investment market, though it does exist in all financial services markets. That fringe doesn't listen to principle-based regulation. It just gets on doing with what it, it does to make money. Uh, and so that's one half of the problem. The other half is that unless a compliance officer says, as a result of the consumer duty, you, financial planner X, need to introduce protection into your conversation, and if and we as a firm don't do it, or sorry, we do do it, and therefore you have to do it yourself or get someone else in the firm to do it, or signpost to LifeSearch or, or anyone else. Um, unless the compliance officer is saying that and the board of directors is confirming that, it ain't going to happen. And the compliance officer will look at consumer duty and go, is that a stated requirement of the consumer duty that I must signpost? Or can I interpret the principles so that I don't have to add this extra burden of responsibility onto my already hard-pressed and compliance fed up to the back teeth with advisors? So it's really interesting, actually, I was going to say, because um, in the training that I do with, sorry, with my team and obviously in further across the industry as well, is that um, one of the things I say is that, you know, it might not necessarily be in your compliance. Because as you say, compliance, I, I'm from background of compliance initially. And we, you know, people, we know people don't like us and they don't like us setting out new rules and stuff. But ultimately, I would say, if I was a mortgage advisor and I hadn't done life insurance, at least probably even income protection as well, I wouldn't want to go up to the FOS if there was a complaint against me to say and for them to turn on and say to me, so why didn't you do that? Because you can do it. And but you've just chosen not to. And the same for wealth managers who aren't doing maybe sort of like the equivalent of like a gift into VVOS policy or, you know, certain types of IHT planning with their life insurance. You know, it's it's things that can be done. And considering I always think the protection is kind of seen as like beneath a lot of people um, to do it because of the fact that it's, you know, it's so straightforward. It's so easy to do. And, you know, it's, it's not sort of, as you say, it's not sexy and it's not getting the annual return a lot of the time back to the firm as well that you'd usually get in terms of other forms of advice. And you just think, well, if it's that easy, then is it really that big a job for you to add it on? So why aren't you doing it? So I, I think, you know, it's really interesting when you come up with that. I was just going to um, ask you as well, though, sorry, I'm 
sort of taken us on a, a bit of a jump of conversation. At the uh, Life Search Awards, um, you'd called on insurers to start doing things like mystery shoppers to test the quality of broker services, to do some like really vigilant analysis of lapse rates and um, clear disclosures from advisors about the offerings that they're giving to clients from the very, very start. So what is it that you were kind of thinking about in each of those areas? Like, What's your vision of what it would eventually look like? Uh, I'm hopeful that it will uh, look like this. Uh, there are a couple of giant hurdles to get over, but uh, we're a long way around the around the course already. Uh, so I, I, I can just update you, I suppose. Um, in the months before, the Life Search Awards happen in March every year. Uh, and uh, during my uh, Christmas break, uh, and with Debbie Kennedy now running Life Search, I was able to take a, a long Christmas break. Uh, I spent too much time uh, pulling together a, a seriously comprehensive report, which you can see on our website, um, about the industry. My effort in doing that was to try and get the regulator to understand several key points. And the first is the difference between protection and GI. The fact that protection is kind of halfway between the simplicities that GI has evolved to, uh, in personal lines anyway, uh, and the complexities of investment advice. It sits somewhere just in the middle. And to treat it like pure, simple motor insurance actually does consumers a grave disservice. So I was trying to give the regulator the, the, the background to the whole market. And if you read that report, I think it's a pretty decent stab. It runs to 40 or 50 pages or something. A pretty decent stab at, at, at a description of a market at a present day in time, and also an education of, of why it's like that and what the underlying factors is. Because I was trying to get over the fact that regulators, like insurance company executives, are essentially transient through our market. We sit here day, year after year uh, as distributors and we watch uh, the caravanserai of the great, of great and the good in the manufacturing and regulatory sector passing through, relearning the lessons we've learned over and over again and, and indeed taught them over and over again. And we have to start again every three or four years as, as the next MD of protection arrives at whichever life company it is. So I wanted to just create a, a, a benchmark. But in creating that, I realized as the Life Search Awards came out that I, I needed a much simpler call to action. And above all, I needed to get away from this uh, uh, opinion that I'd allowed to form, I'd encouraged almost, that there were good bad players and bad players in the market and that Life Search was a good player and others were bad players. Uh, and that really, if the bad players needed to be kind of put out of business or reformed. And I realized through this work that essentially that was that's that that argument may have validity but it's never going to happen so the art of the possible as um, as lots of people call it now would, uh, um, would was where i moved to and i thought well what could i get the industry to do can i get the fca to make the consumer duty really a, a powerful thing and the answer came through clearly in their second consumer duty paper at 2136 which had the first paper utterly watered down. So I realized very quickly that the FCA were not going to make the consumer duty mean enough to stop the practices that I think are uh, causing our market to stagnate uh, and doing consumers real harm. So that that's okay. Can't change the FCA. Who can you change? Well, the real gatekeepers in our market are the people that, al uh, um, that allow distributors agencies that pay them commission uh, uh, and that underwrite their cases. So any insurer can cancel an agency, and they do uh, cancel lots of them, uh, or, or manage agents, or make sure that agents are doing the proper thing. They are natural gatekeepers. It's a responsibility they really don't like, and they've really only exercised it properly in terms of financial strength 
because obviously financial weakness hurts their P&L very clearly. So they've built a really good system for ensuring that financial advisors who are on the way to going bust, normally because they're not very good at what they do, or they're giving bad advice, or they've got high lapse rates, that damage is minimized and they're put out of business very quickly or not offered agencies at all. They've got very good at that. And that's a brilliant thing because it stops a lot of the rot. But what they haven't got good at, what they haven't seen fit to add to their armory of of, of, uh, protection, if you like, uh, against bad practice, uh, is the actual analysis of what happens to the customer. They do bits and bobs of it, but anyone in retail knows that the way you find out what's happening to a customer is you mystery shop. You just pretend to be a customer and you ring up. Now, mystery shopping is, is a really common and normal thing. Uh, people use it in, in all aspects. People walk into stores, uh, paid to mystery shop the store and see what happens when they ask for a perfume or whatever, uh, and do that analysis and improve the outcomes. So it's no different here. It just is done over the phone. And Life Search has been mystery shopping. We've always wanted to learn from our competitors. And, and so we've always mystery shopped and seen how good people do it. And indeed, then you find out how bad people do it. So mystery shopping in protection is a normal thing, but it isn't something that's ever been done on a systematic basis in order to improve the market. So at the Life Search Awards, I made a 15, 20-minute talk or gave a 15 or 20-minute talk in which I said, right, let's focus on three or four things. And the first was getting the data to understand who the bad players are. You can tell that from lapse rates. We compared a life search versus or a reinsurer compared a, a life search's lapse rate versus a panel of non-advised telesales firms. That was the panel they considered. Uh, and But that's not my argument here. Let's be clear. Uh, that particular panel yielded a 38% lapse rate, more than double, I think, what life searches was um, uh, uh, over the first year. Uh, I think the actual figures were 18% CFO and then a further 20% lapse in the first year. So de facto, if those figures are anything like right, and from what I've heard, no one is actually contradicting them, uh, then that sector, and I think there are lots of advisors who you could add into that sector because their standards are so low, uh, that sector is causing a, I mean, ridiculous. How can you grow a market if over a third of people who enter it are changing their minds within the first year? Some of them right at the beginning. A lot of them, 18%, is a huge proportion. So that got me going. Let's let's get the data. And then how do we make the data work, get worth something or be worth something? How do we affect change? Well, it's pretty obvious. An insurer should look at the data and go, wow, this firm is, uh, is struggling here. They do that at the moment. They look at all the financials. And if they go, okay, no, financially, they are fine. They're, they're not going out of business. But then they let that firm carry on trading. That is pretty much the, the rule of thumb at the moment. I'm saying, look further, use the mystery shopping to say, what's happening to the customer? Oh, okay. So the customer is being deceived. Customer is getting hard sell tactics. The customer is not having status disclosed in a way that they understand. Those, I would say, are the, are the, are the three things that go on a lot um, across all sectors uh, of the market. And well, then the insurer can say, listen, company X or distributor Y, we, um, we've listened to the call. Here is the call. This is shocking behavior. You're not doing this right. Please, if you want to maintain an agency with our big life company, uh, you need to improve this and we will mystery shop you in a few months time uh, to see whether you have. So please re-educate your, uh, I was going to say advisors. It could be advisors or it could be salespeople, obviously. Um, and yeah, why not? Why not ask the insurers to do that piece of gatekeeping? And to be honest, ever since the awards, I've been on a journey 
to uh, to make that happen, um, which I can tell you about in a minute. But I'll, I'll pause there just to check I haven't lost you in the audience entirely. No, it's, it's fascinating to hear. I mean, what 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 we're I think all calling for, and obviously you're you're as much a part of the PGG as, as everyone else is a sense of responsibility. And when we hear stories, and and and, and actually some of us have have experienced being run 21 times a day by particular institutions that gives the industry a terrible name and actually I don't think that helps with going back a, a step with uh, some of our wealth manager uh, cousins because they were hear these stories as well so I think the responsibility side is is, is key here are, are you are you talking to is that are listening on the responsibility side yes yes I think I am uh the the um, so basically since the awards um, uh, and throwing in a couple of holidays, uh, I have got round to not every insurer, uh, but effectively I haven't got the friend, I haven't done the friendlies yet, but I've done the rest, uh, and uh, I met with each of them and I asked them to institute a mystery shopping campaign themselves. Uh, to define the agents they should mystery shop using the data they have because high lapse rates is a, and CFO rates is a key indicator of a poor uh, advisory or sales process. Uh, to, to use that data and, and plenty of others they have, non-disclosure rates, uh, all that sort of thing, um, to, to identify what are the likely bad ones uh, amongst distribution and mystery shop them and look for three things. The first was harassment calling, which you refer to. I didn't mention it earlier, but that's lead generation sites. But then the lead generation sites are paid by the distributor. They're buying the leads. So if you've got a lead generation site and distributors themselves do the same thing, using this, this harassment calling, as I call it, hounding someone else called it from an insurer, then for goodness sake, just stop them doing that. Say so we, 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 we submitted a lead on your website, uh, or we submit a lead on this lead gen site and it came through to you, you are paying this lead gen site. When we mystery shop you again, if that happens again, we're going to cancel our agency. Just don't do it. Stop ruining our market because it's hacking our customers off and affecting our PLs in the long term. So straightforward commercial case for instituting some discipline and good behaviors amongst your distributors there. There's not a single insurer that hasn't gone, yeah, we agree with you, Tom. Absolutely, we, we, we agree with you that that should happen. I then asked them to focus on the disclosure point. Now, this doesn't apply to advice so much, but if you are saying you're a non-advisor, you have a duty to ensure that a customer understands what that means, yeah. understands that effectively you're not taking responsibility for the, the, the advice, for the words you're saying. They are for the decision that comes out of those words. And unless you're telling them absolute lies, they really have no recourse to the ombudsman or if their business fails, the customer has no recourse to the financial services compensation scheme. So that just needs to be made clear. I'm not prescribing as to how it should be made clear, but you need to disclose status and what it means. And all the insurers effectively nodded along with that one. Not quite sure they said definitely, Tom, but they already see your point. That's good. The, the, the slightly non-committal answer you and I are used to getting from insurers about things. But certainly support for it, yes. Uh, and then the third thing I asked was that they listened to calls and uh, in the mystery shop, and they adopted a persona which wasn't absolutely certain of what it wanted to buy because almost no customers are, uh, and had no questions and just went through because that is the process that uh, you know we serve all right. But it's a tiny proportion of consumers. Most consumers have vulnerabilities, have confusions, have issues. In fact, everyone I've ever spoken to was not making the right perfect decision for them when when it came to a bit, bit with a bit of analysis. Uh, introducing income protection, that kind of thing, also you know, a, a vital part of, of what happens. So if they listen to calls and they find that those things are not happening, 
then they should tell the uh, intermediary to either do those things or if they can't assign post, Roy, or if they can't yes. assign post and to form proper commercial secure contracting relationships with the likes of you and me uh, in, in order to enable the customer to buy from them and get good service elsewhere. Perfectly feasible thing to do. So I asked them to do those th three relatively simple things, harassment calling, status, uh, uh, and what it means, and avoiding hard sell tactics, can I just call that, or, or stopping hard sell tactics. The response I got from every single insurer was positive, and I asked them all to give me a, a written statement uh, echoing what they'd said in the meeting, uh, and I now have collected all but two of those, uh, and uh, the plan is, in fact, the plan is uh, actually going to happen just about uh, now, uh, that those are collated into a, a group uh, and shared with the insurers. They're not for, for public consumption. They're insurers' private words effectively to each other, using me as a, as a conduit, I suppose, a self-employed, a self-appointed conduit, rather. Um, so that's all gathered together. And happily, the PDG, its protection distributors group, for those who may not be immediately familiar with what is second nature to us, um, the protection distributors group has agreed to help me uh, get this over the line because there is a way in which the insurers can uh, affect this mystery shopping exercise in, in a way that's practical. The, um, the impractical way, uh, as I realized while talking to them, is for each insurer to do it themselves. I mean, that would mean we all, all of us distributors facing 20 or 30 mystery shops <laughs> whenever they, they wanted to, and that's ridiculous. So we needed to consolidate it so that there is one central place where it's done. And I won't go into too much detail, but we've got a plan for that, uh, that I uh, well, that the BDG intends to put to insurers uh, and hope that we, we get some progress there. But that would be the start, I think, of a, uh, a, a change of direction in our industry. Can I ask you another question? Because you've obviously spent a, a good few months talking to a lot of the decision makers. On the subject of signposting, you and I and Catherine totally get why uh, a major insurer is not going to tell someone to go to, to LifeSearch or Cura or Cavendish Ware or someone specifically. But do you get the impression that they bought into the concept of signposting? Because I think that, you know, a lot of uh, IFAs out there, their only real uh, connection with, with, with the industry is via their broker consultant. Yeah, is, and I'm talking about wealth people, mortgage people, protection people. Do you think the, the, the insurance companies have bought into what we're talking about in terms of signposting, the principles of it? Uh, yes, yes, I have, but there's a long way between, yes, I do, I think is, is the answer to that, but you can tell by my tone, uh, there's a long way between saying you've bought into something and actually getting your broker consultant to go out and proselytize amongst wealth managers uh, and preach the gospel of signposting um, and tell them to do it. If you think about it, broker consultants, well, I suppose they, they do speak to the top of the company, uh, the CEO, the board, the compliance team, that kind of thing, those who, who build a, a financial advisor's kind of modus operandi uh, and make sure their advisors follow it. Um, yeah, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's an imperative. Uh, again, one of the great problems with regulation is that the regulator defines what you should and shouldn't do. And if they don't define that, then you don't do it. You don't do it, yeah. Yeah, or you do do it when you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so the, the regulation regulation is a great big passing of the buck 
from individual uh, business leaders to the regulator, who then passes it back to them through the senior manager's conduct regime and, and uh, the insurance distribution directive and those kind of things. But between that passing one way and then passing the other, uh, the do's and don'ts get watered down into a position where you can if you want to. Uh, and given the lack of enforcement, there isn't a huge imperative to follow best practice. So it really is up to the individual leadership of the distributor, of, of the financial advisor or wealth manager or, or financial planner, uh, or indeed insurer, to enforce signposting uh, and say to their team, you have to do this. This is, this is the relationship we have uh, with, with a, another a protection specialist. But then they have to go out and form that relationship. They have to do an RFP. They have to decide to use and, and accept the commercials, um, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, make the whole thing. That's an added responsibility. That's something else you suddenly could get wrong. That's something else that could let your people down. Unless it's going to be a significant revenue stream as a board, you just say, can't be bothered. Not what we yeah. do. And I think that is so, right. I do think with signposting that if you try and enforce it, Sub-regulator, Roy, it's not going to happen. If a regulator said yes, as they have in as they have in the travel industry, you know they've, yeah. they've mandated it in travel. So yeah, let's go to the regulator and say mandated in protection. And well, the reason I'm asking this, Tom, is it's yeah. um, and I'm sure you do as well. But I, I know lots of lawyers and accountants as introducers, but as clients as well. And it's fascinating when you talk to them about the concept of signposting because they signpost naturally all on a day to day basis. OK, those two professions that we keep calling our sister professions do this naturally. Now, uh, the Law Society and, and the various chartered institutes, uh, you know, will, will, will have guidance on this. But obviously they don't have the equivalent of insurance companies. But when you talk to lawyers and accountants, they say, well, we do this anyway. Well, you know, sh surely you do this as well. And I think, I think it's, it's extraordinary we're not doing it. I totally agree. No one's ever going to make this mandatory. It's not going to work, and nor should that work. But it, it, when it, sometimes you need to take a step backwards from our beloved industry and, and see how others do things. And it, it just it seems that part of the, you know, the consumer, uh, the whole journey here and, 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 make, and, and, and putting more policies and making the consumer journey more uh, more more pleasant to deal with is is us as an industry coming back together and signposting surely is the natural uh, is the natural panacea here you, you you go on you go on fighting for that right i'm right in your corner i'll back you all the way um but i i just think people tend to in the old-fashioned expression stick to their lasts you do yeah. what you know how to do and that you and you do it often because then you know how to give good service and get great results and stay out of compliance trouble. That's what you do. The moment you go beyond that, you can get into bother. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's actually up to us. Life Search is, is uh, uh, doubling up on its efforts, uh, actually more than doubling up on its efforts to get out there and get people, get life searchers into uh, wealth managers, uh, uh, talking to their boards and saying, listen, this is a revenue stream. This is a there's a commercial imperative here. It's good for customers and it's good for your PL. Let's do this. And they all, I've never met one who didn't say, yeah, that, that really we, we should do more protection for our customers. But the step from that acknowledgement, as I, I said earlier, to actually doing something about it, to mandating it, to, to getting it there, there's got to be an imperative. And the commercial imperative is very strong if you make the case properly. So it's also say, a, um, let's, let's get out there. And I'm sure we all are. It's just a question yeah. of ripping it up. And so and, until, you know, it, it takes time to get people to, uh, to to buy into slightly new concepts. You have to put a lot of effort into it. And when you get them to, then suddenly there's a good business. there. 
is also, as was uh, pointed out to me literally yesterday, quite an interesting diversification as well, because, you know, when when uh, a lot of wealth managers are dependent on, uh, you know, funds under management and suddenly, you know, markets go down, well, obviously they get hit straight away. So there's there's that argument as well with mortgage brokers. I mean, you know, with interest rates, that the, the way they're potentially going, suddenly yeah, the mortgage market might uh, uh, have ramifications. And, I, you know, knowing a lot of these guys as I do in the mortgage side, uh, you know, when when the credit crunch came along, you know, historically, those that were doing protection actually had a, a padding to their business models as well because they had that diversification. So there is a commercial reason for, for looking at this as well as hopefully a moral and ethical one as well. Yeah. And I think then the, we can just join that circle for them. You mentioned it earlier for them to be to get into this mood. Uh, yep, you're right. This this is a propitious time to be out marketing. That's that's why it's become very central to our new business development efforts going forward. But what has to happen is that the image of our market in their eyes is good, yes. and the way our market treats customers is excellent. And I can honestly say that I think those two things are true of Life Search, and I'm sure they tr- they're true uh, of. Uh, Cura and uh, your business. Where are you at now, Roy? Remind me. <laughs> Cavendish Ware. <laughs> Cavendish Ware were not standing firm. I know they'd be a dig at one point. <laughs> <laughs> I've, only, I've only ever been with two advisors, Tom. You know. Uh, me too. Bagry Davies, Bagry Davies, <laughs> and Life Search. That's me. That's me in forty years. The the um, uh, so, so I'm sure your firms are excellent too. But the the, the image of our overall industry is deeply clouded by the practices that I talked about earlier. So if we can get the insurers to stop those, well, I don't think we can. We can get the insurers to come out against them loud and clear, to mystery shop and to privately call out their agents and say, stop doing this. As that happens, I've also asked them to publicize, not agent by agent, but anonymized data as to what they're finding. Yeah, Uh, they're very reluctant to publicize the data they collect. they just are. But I think if you publicize the good that you're trying to achieve, if you publicize how, you know, this is what we found. This is the number of agents we told to reform. This is why we told them to reform. This is the effort going on. If you publicize that, what you build is a zeitgeist. You build a trend in the industry which says, hmm, we need to get better at what we do. And the way I've, the phrase I've used is that we need to stop trying to be as bad as we can get away with. At the bottom end of the telesales industry I'm talking about here, yeah, telesales protection market, shall I call it, we need to stop uh, accepting or, or, or seeing being as bad as we can get away with as, as a good business model. Because it does make money. It can make money if it's done well. Um, and we need to start trying to see how to be start being as good as we can be. So I'll just, just sort of crystallize that. What I'm trying to get insurers to do is understand that they can change the direction of travel of our market. They can move us from the trend currently, which is to being as bad as you can get away with, to a new trend, which is to be as good as you can profitably be. And if they just start that effort, if they can just have three or four goes at mystery shopping, at correcting, at challenging, distributors will change their ways. Because I think one of the great misconceptions is that it's, it's really hard to give good protection advice. It really isn't. 
it's really very easy to give good protection advice. If you get into the minutiae before the call, you two are talking about relevant life cover. Okay, you've got to have specialists in your team who get that sort of stuff referred to them, or you've got to get your advisors individually up to a very high standard of knowledge. But either way is acceptable. Either way is acceptable. But getting protection advice to a good standard is very easy. Um, and you, you, can, you, can, you can do it in non-advice as well. You just have to be clear about your status and what it means to the customer and signpost to advice when that is what the customer needs. And a lot of non-advisors are now building their own advice arms. I think for that, they, they see this as true themselves. So all I'm asking insurers to do is accelerate the process. And it's not just non-advisors. I, I do understand how many really bad people, uh, distributors there are in the telesales advice sector as well. Uh, it's a much bigger sector uh, advice on telesales than non-advice. And although some of the biggest firms are non-advisors, lots of bad firms are, are, are advisors. I was oh, add... Sorry, not bad, not bad firms. Firms, that, firms who treat customers in, in the... Use not these the way methods. that we would hope, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's a good way of saying it. So I was going to ask you sort of like towards the end of the podcast about your vision for how you hope the industry will change. But I think you've probably pretty much said that um, throughout, you know. But maybe if you can give us a bit of a, a summary of stuff, like as maybe your, your key three things or something that you really want to happen. And, and maybe as well, if there's anything you know, outside of this as well that you just want to kind of throw in at the end that you'd like people to be aware about? Thank you, uh, Catherine. I do think people often say, Tom, you're always so negative. Uh, you're always criticizing, um, you know, why, why don't you sound more positive? Uh, and, and I'm glad you realize that there is a clear vision shining through everything I'm saying. Uh, and the vision is of a protection market that treats customers really well. That when a customer clicks on a, a Google ad, uh, and they come through into our world. And that is, that is the route uh, in which so much of this uh, poor practice exists. So when a customer clicks on a Google ad, what should happen is they should get a clear website that gives them the choices they need. Uh, and that when they click on one of those choices, whether it's, it's buy now, online, that's fine. They know what they're doing. They're self-helping. They're making their own decisions. They're getting whatever information they take off that page, and they're making a buying decision. That's their call. Absolutely fine. Let them, let, let, that's the customer's right to buy in the way they want to buy. So no, there's no question we can only influence them marginally at that point. That's great. That's their first possible choice. If their second choice could be that they just want simple guidance and a relatively quick call, that's great. That's an absolutely fine choice. But what has to happen there is that they understand the limitations of that service uh, and that they get a, uh, a result that is, is entirely fair. Uh, and that they, they understand that they're not hearing everything they need to hear. They're basically getting a, a verbal version of the online service. Uh, and then when they come through advice, they need to get really good advice, uh, delivered in a, in a relatively simple and easy way. That's the solution we need to offer. At the moment, there are lumps of it that are just really bad. I think the online trading is fine, uh, and I think large chunks of advice are great, but there is a large chunk of advice that isn't, and there's a lot of non-advice that isn't. The uh, end result is that we just need to improve those behaviors uh, over the phone. And if we do that, then my vision is really simple. And that is a market that customers go, wow, this was good. I spoke to people, they helped me. Or I didn't want to speak to them, they didn't bother me. I changed my mind, they let me change my mind. The, they didn't hard sell me, they didn't pressurize me, they didn't do any of that. And that market is a market which is fit for growth. And I tell you, consumers do deep down want what we've got, but they need to be helped over the edge. 
And it's really difficult to help them over the edge when there are, there's so much bad practice going on, especially as most consumers won't just try one solution. Even if they buy from you, Roy, they'll check their price online. They'll go on a website and just, just have a little sense check. I mean, that's good consumer behavior. Then they find themselves in this maelstrom of calls. Then <laughs> They find themselves in a nightmare world and they go, bloody hell, what is this industry Roy's pushed me into? And you go, no, 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 I didn't. I was trying to save you, but it's too late. They are, uh, they are upset by us. So can our market grow? Uh, every year by 10% or more, I believe it certainly can. Can we grow the numbers of customers we engage with? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely we can through all three channels. Um, and can advice be given relatively simply and easily? Yes, it can. So what a happy market that would be. That would be a market which you could really take out to wealth managers. That would be a market which could then start to engage customers more widely because distributors would have the confidence in, in quality of what they do uh, and insurers would have the, that confidence too so that one could get together uh, and create uh, an engagement campaign one could actually promote the industry at large so we just have to change the direction of travel and the only people who can do that the regulator is not in the picture the only people who can do that are our big insurers and indeed our smaller insurers and i think i've come up with a way that i'll be asking them to do uh, well actually PDG get to have a look at my ideas this week. Uh, I think I've come up with a way which will enable them to uh, get together and do this properly and change our uh, our direction of travel. I'll just say, Catherine, that's that's a fantastic description, Tom. And, and I, I just want to take some parallels of uh, a lot of the time in the investment side, we will send people off and say, go off and look look at it yourself. Go off to explore Harpies Lansdowne, do some DIY stuff. How many of those consumers come back to us and say, I've had a look at it. I, ne- I need some advice on it. I know my mortgage colleagues have exactly the same. You know, go off and go and source your own mortgages online. And a lot of those people come back. And that's spot on what you've just said. The fact that we're telling people what the alternative is, they're going off and coming back to us, tells you that people still value advice. And, uh, and, and that's why I think the three of us are, are in this industry and, and ultimately have faith in this industry. So Roy says what he says, and then I go, ah, Roy, can I, uh, can I just end by disagreeing with you? That's a great way to end. Uh, it's not uh, 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 about advice being the absolutely best solution. That choice is up to the customer. What we have to ensure is that whichever way the customer chooses, they get treated fairly, whether it's online, whether it's through a simple form of guidance, or whether it's uh, through advice. They need to get what they expect and the outcomes need to be right. And our insurers need to make sure that happens. And I think we've got a tool that we're going to present to them, which will enable them to do that as a collective group. And I'm very excited about it. More follows soon. But that's the point. It, it is, it's their choice. And if they want to go off online and do this elsewhere, that's fine. But at least they have the choice. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, I think that's um, an interesting point for us to end on. Obviously, thank you so much for coming and giving your insights, Tom. It's been really, really useful. Uh, next time, I'm going to be back with Matt Ran, and we're going to be talking through insurance options for people that have given or received an organ donation. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit our website, practical-protection.co.uk. And don't forget that if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too. Thanks to our sponsors, the Opta members. Thank you, guys.